Hello. Today we're continuing our series on the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we're talking about how there is a twofold ministry of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit within us and the Spirit upon us. In the Old Covenant, certain ones were anointed by the Spirit upon them to empower them, to fulfill their ministries. But they couldn't yet have the Spirit abiding within them because the new birth of their spirits was not yet available under the Old Covenant. But praise God, now in the New Covenant, Jesus has opened the way for us to be born again, which means our spirit is made alive with his resurrection life. And that enables the Holy Spirit to indwell our spirit so that we become temples of the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to study the work of the Holy Spirit, mostly in the new birth itself. You see, we all desperately needed a new birth. Jesus said, unless one is born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of God. You must be born again. The reason is that in Adam, man is born spiritually dead. We all inherited a spirit that is dead to God. It's like an old wineskin, which is unable to contain the new wine of the Holy Spirit. And so we needed a new birth, the regeneration of our spirit, so that it becomes a new creation, a new man in Christ. But for the work of the Holy Spirit actually begins before our new birth, because without him working in our hearts, striving with us, witnessing to us, convicting us, illuminating the truth of Christ to us, convicting us of the truth of the gospel, we could never have come to Christ in the first place and receive him and his new birth. We, you see, we were so lost in the darkness of sin that uh, without the convicting and convincing work of the Holy Spirit, we could never have come to faith in Christ. Let's look at a couple of verses on that. In Genesis 6-3, God says, My spirit will not always strive with man. In other words, God's spirit is striving with man to turn him to God, to cause him to accept his grace. But he won't do this forever, only while he's alive, and then his time is up and the decision is made. Acts 5 says, we are witnesses to these things, of the gospel of Christ, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And so as we witness and share the gospel, the Holy Spirit is also witnessing uh, the truth of the gospel to people's hearts. This agrees with Jesus' promise that he gave at the Last Supper in John chapter 15 to start with. It says, when the Holy Spirit comes, the Helper comes, whom I will send to you, not to the world, but to you believers, from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify or witness to me. And it says, he will testify. Testify to who? To the world. And you also will bear witness by sharing the gospel. Now, notice that the Spirit is not sent to the world directly. Since the world cannot receive him, it neither sees him nor knows him. He's sent to us, to the church, and then through us to the world. See, he comes to us, and then he testifies of Jesus to the world through us. You see, he doesn't do it alone, because it says, and you also shall bear witness. So he witnesses with us and through us, he's the helper. He empowers us to speak so that when we speak uh, of Jesus, he speaks through us. He witnesses the truth to their heart supernaturally, convicting them of their need of Jesus and salvation. 
Jesus expanded on this further in John 16. He said, if I depart, I will send the Holy Spirit to you, to the church. And when he's come to you, he will convict the world through you. He'll convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Notice, through our witness, the Holy Spirit convinces the world of the key saving truths of the gospel. Number one, he convicts them of their sin and their need to receive forgiveness and salvation from God. You see, we need to declare, man is a sinner. He cannot, therefore, he cannot save himself. And Jesus described what the heart and essence of sin was. It's going our own way. It's trusting in ourselves rather than believing and trusting in Jesus for salvation. Sin is because they do not believe in him. And then it says he convicts them also of righteousness. He convinces them of the good news of righteousness. That is, it's possible to be forgiven and made right with God through Jesus. You see, having paid the price for us on the cross for our sins, he rose from the dead and he ascended to his Father in heaven. You see, he says, I go to my Father. That's the the proof that I've achieved righteousness for mankind. And it says the fact that he went to his Father shows that as a man he achieved righteousness with God. Praise God. And the gospel declares that he offers us his righteousness as a free gift. So if we accept him as our Lord and as our representative before God, we can stand before God in Christ, forgiven and justified, made righteous with his righteousness. And that's the good news. And then thirdly, it says, he convicts them of judgment because the rule of this world is judged. He convicts them of the certainty of coming judgment if they do not turn from their sin and accept Christ. Because the world's view, the world is wrong about this. The world's view that a loving God is too soft to judge is misguided. You see, Jesus says, because the rule of the world is judged. In other words, he's already judged Satan the ruler of this world. And so he will also certainly judge the world. That is everyone who remains under the rule, under the kingdom of Satan. So anyone who continues to follow Satan in his rebellion against God, his rejection of God, will also share in God's judgment on Satan. And so the Holy Spirit is working to bring a person to salvation, to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And when he comes to Jesus and accepts Jesus as his Lord and Savior, then the Holy Spirit is the one who performs the miracle of the new birth. And that's what we're going to look at now, the work of the Holy Spirit in the new birth. It's described beautifully in Titus 3. When the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration, that's the new birth, and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. This describes our salvation by grace, through faith, accomplished by our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It says that there was a moment when he saved us. And then it describes what was done within us at that very moment by the Holy Spirit, who was poured out upon us through Jesus. The Holy Spirit renewed us and regenerated us. He washed away the washing of regeneration. He washed away the old man and made us a new creation, a new man in Christ. He regenerated and recreated our spirit, which is now cleansed from all sin. 
And this is the new birth, you see, that Jesus revealed to Nicodemus in John 3. Jesus didn't hold back and do a half job when he saved us. He did a complete work in our spirit because it says he poured out the Holy Spirit upon us abundantly. He didn't hold back. In 2 Corinthians, it describes this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, a brand new creation. His spirit is reborn. In his spirit, he's a new man, a new breed of humanity, not modeled on Adam anymore, but on Christ. His spirit's been recreated, in other words, in the image of Christ. And it goes on to say that old things, that includes our old spirit man, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new, and now all things are of God. All things in our spirit are of God. Our newborn spirit, praise God, is full of the newness of the life of Christ. And all things in our spirit are of God, including the fruit of the spirit, the love, joy, peace that is now in us. The Christian life now is all about expressing what God has already done in us through that new birth. Praise God. And then he explains how this was achieved by Christ on the cross. It says, for he made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. By the work of the Holy Spirit in our spirit, he has now made us the righteousness of God in Christ. And now we're to know that and to live it out. See, this new creation, this new man, is our reborn spirit, created in the perfect image of Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians says, put on in your outward life what has already been done on the inside, the new man, which was created in the new birth according to God, that means according to God's image, in true righteousness and holiness. It's been made righteous and holy. Colossians says, put on the new man, put on in your actions, in your outward life, the new man, who was renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Ephesians gives a fuller description. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's our spirit that's been saved through faith. And that in the new birth. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For now we are in our spirit as a result of this salvation. We are his workmanship, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so the new birth, you see, is the new creation of our spirit in the perfect image of Christ. And so the new birth is, first of all, it's a creation. It's the new creation, parallel to the old creation. And so we can learn more about this by looking at the original creation. It's called a new creation, bringing forth a new spirit man to replace uh, in the image of Christ, which replaces the old spirit man, which is in the image of the fallen spiritually dead Adam. And so it follows that the work of the Holy Spirit in the new birth is parallel to the work of his work in the original creation. So let's look at the creation and we'll see this. Psalm 33 says, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and the host of them by the breath or by the spirit of his mouth. And so we see that God created by his word and his spirit working together. He spoke his word and his breath or his spirit went forth with his word, empowering that word and bringing it to pass, manifesting it. 
We see exactly the same pattern in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness covered the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God was ready to act, to perform the, the word once it was spoken. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. The Spirit manifested the word. The Spirit brooding, you see, full of energy, waiting for the word. So when it was spoken, it could go forth with the word, working with it to perform it and bring it to pass, changing darkness to life, death to darkness to light, death into life, uh, chaos into order. This is a picture of the new birth. That's what our spirit was like, darkness, void, chaos. And God was going to do a miracle in our spirit. When God's word was spoken to us through the gospel, and we receive it into our heart, then the spirit works with that word and brings it to pass. The spirit, you see, was hovering over the darkness of our spirit, waiting for the word to penetrate there so he could bring it to pass. And then when God spoke his word, light be, let there be light. When he spoke that word of grace into the darkness of our spirit, then the spirit instantly worked with that word and performed it with the result that our spirit was transformed from darkness into light, filled with the light of Christ. That's, we were born again. That's what happened exactly. It's described this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, Whose minds the God of this age, that is of unbelievers, the God of this age has blinded, in, held in darkness, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the same God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. He did that at creation. The same God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone into our hearts in the new birth to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, just as at creation, God by his word commanded light to come into existence and replace the darkness with a result that the spirit was released to manifest and shine the light in the darkness and dispel it. So at the new birth, another creation takes place in the same way, which is just as real, praise God. God spoke his word of grace, his light, into the darkness of our spirit, releasing the Holy Spirit to bring it to pass by shining the light of the glory of Christ into our spirit, transforming it from darkness to light. That is the new birth and it's a new creation accomplished by God's word and God's spirit together. When you accepted God's word, God's spirit brought it to pass. And so Ephesians 5.8 is literally true. It says, you were once darkness in your spirit, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now you are children of light. You've been born again. You are light. Now walk that way. Let that light shine out of you. So the first picture of the new birth in the Gospels also parallels the creation account. And this is the sign miracle of changing water into wine in John chapter 2. A wonderful picture of the work of the Spirit in the new birth. It's the first miracle Jesus did. And that's appropriate because that's the first miracle that Jesus does in our life, uh, is the new birth. 
And so this is a picture of the new birth. In John, we read, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Notice Mary is highlighted as the main person. Actually, we find out that she was in charge of the feast. And we'll see that when the wine ran out, it was reported to her. No one else knew about it. And she had the authority to give the servants orders, and they obeyed the orders. And then it says that Jesus and his disciples were both invited to the wedding also. And then it says, when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. She's saying to him, you're the Messiah. Why don't you do something to save the day? And then we get this shocking statement in, in verse 4. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Have you ever been troubled by that statement? It sounds cold and harsh in English, doesn't it? And, but that can't be the right understanding because of what Mary does next, what she says next, and what Jesus does next. So something else must be going on here. Uh, it's important to understand the Hebrew phrases used here. Woman was a term of affection and respect. And actually, he was talking to her in her official position as being in charge of the feast. And then when he says, what does your concern have to do with me? It's literally, what to me and what to you? He pointed out, actually, that this situation was under her authority, and it wasn't for him to intrude unless she delegated her authority to him, releasing him to work. You see, her hint and her hopeful look to him to do something was insufficient for him to act. You see, he respected, he worked under authority. What, in other words, he's saying, what authority to me and what authority to you? What to me, what to you? He needed her to make it clear what and how much of the authority she was delegating to him in this situation. See, if I want something done in the church, it's no good me just hinting that I'd like it done. I need to make it clear I'm giving you authority to do it. And that's what Jesus was pointing out. Because he said, my hour is not yet come. Whenever Jesus talked about his hour or his time, he was referring to his death and resurrection when he would be exalted to the right hand of God and he would be Lord of all. Uh, his time would come when he would be Lord of all, but he had not yet been given that authority. At that time, he was the, coming to be the servant of all. And so he was telling her, Mary, you're the one in authority. You need to give me the right to act in this situation. And Mary, indeed, did get the message because we see what she did next. She said to the servants, whatever he says, do it. Do you see that delegation of authority? She was putting the servants under his authority. You can see by that as well that she was in charge. Uh, but she then delegated. Notice Jesus functions under authority. He respects free will. He only moves in people's lives when they ask when they give permission. You might say, why doesn't Jesus make everyone born again? Because they have authority over their own life. They have to give God the permission to do the miracle by asking him. Yes, he wants to save you. He wants to change your water into wine. But it's only when you call him Lord that you give him permission to do it. And as soon as Mary gave him the right, he worked the wonder. And let's look at the miracle of the transformation. It says that now there were set six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. A lot of symbolism going on here. The sign, it's a sign, you see. It's a picture 
that points to Christ's willingness and his power to transform men. The starting material is unpromising. Six stone pots represents hard hearts. Uh, It represents man. And six is the number of man without God, falling short of spiritual perfection, which is man with God, which is symbolized by seven. Then being filled with water is a picture of natural life, our natural life that we receive through the first birth, the birth of the flesh, the birth out of the water of our mother's womb. And water, you see, represents natural human life, which becomes stagnant when separated from God's life. So we need a second birth, the birth of our spirit. And that's what Jesus explained more in the teaching in the next chapter, John chapter 3, to Nicodemus. So these pots full of stagnant water are a picture of us before we're born again. Our natural state is having soulish life, that water, but no spiritual life, no wine. And as the pots were filled with water, the Holy Spirit started to move over the dark waters, just like he did at creation in Genesis. And he transformed them into wine in obedience to Christ's command. He was able to do it because Mary had given permission. The one in authority had given permission. And this is a picture of the rebirth, the miracle of the rebirth of our spirit by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit hovers over the waters of our spirit that dwell in darkness and he's waiting to shine his light and bring forth a new creation. He's waiting to change our water into wine and over time our natural life becomes more stagnant until we give Jesus permission to work his miracle in us uh, and we invite him into our heart and then the Holy Spirit is able to change our water into wine to give us fine wine, a new life of love, uh, joy and peace and so forth. The miracle happened invisibly inside the clay pots, changing the inside, but the outside looked much the same. And so it is when we're born again, our body doesn't change, but our spirit does. And this transformation is revealed when we allow that new life within us to be poured out. And that's what happens next in the story. It's poured out. Jesus said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast, which means the head waiter, the chief servant. And they took it, and when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests are well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine, the best wine, till now. You see, when we receive the new wine of the Spirit in our clay pots by the new birth, others should be able to taste of it and say, Hey, that's the best That's the best, the fruity wine. And it says then, this beginning of signs, this was a sign to show what God wants to do in our life when we believe in him, when we give him the right to do this. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. God wants to manifest his glory in your life. He manifested his glory as the son of God and his disciples believed in him. You see, a sign is a visual aid. It's not just a miracle on its own. It's a miracle with a message, a demonstration of who Jesus is and what his glory will do in our lives if we will receive him. He wants to recreate us in the new birth. He wants to transform us from deep within. You just have to give him permission by believing on him as the son of God and calling on him to save you. 
John 20 gives the purpose of these signs. These signs are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. See, these signs are designed to prove that Jesus is the Son of God so that you might believe in him, that you might put your trust in him. And the result of believing in his name is that we receive life and salvation from him. This life is also revealed. What he will do within you is revealed by the signs, for they show what he does in the lives of those who trust him. For instance, he turns our water into wine. So this sign gives us a picture of the new birth of what Jesus will do in us if we will receive him. He'll do in us that very miracle that's revealed in this sign. It was the first sign Jesus did because it is the first and most important miracle that we need. It teaches us that believing in Jesus results in his glory manifested in us so that we receive eternal life and inner transformation by the Holy Spirit changing our, our life from the old natural water into the new spiritual wine. It's given so that we might believe in Jesus as the one who has the power to transform our innermost being, praise God. It also teaches us that it can only happen for us when we give Christ the right, the authority to do it by receiving him as our Lord, just like Mary did. And that's why a major part of the preparation for this miracle was actually about the giving of authority to Jesus by Mary. You see, when we believe in Jesus and call him Lord and invite him to come into our heart by his spirit to save us and make us new, then he releases his spirit to enter into our clay pot and turn our water into wine. He breathes into us his eternal life, the God kind of life, and he fills our spirit with the new wine of the Holy Spirit, praise God. What a wonderful thing the new birth is. So through our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, by pouring his Holy Spirit into to us, he gives us his eternal and abundant life. He manifests his glory in us when we ask him. This is the new birth. He fulfills in us the sign of turning the water into wine when we believe on him as Mary did. Make sure you have received Jesus Christ into your heart. Let him change your stagnant water into wine. Pray this prayer, Jesus, I believe in you as the Son of God. Come into my heart. I give you permission to turn my stagnant water into, into wonderful wine, the new wine of the Holy Spirit. We need to get to know the Holy Spirit much better. Let me recommend to you this series of eight messages on CD on the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is available for 15 pounds and this will give you a foundation on the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And if you want more on this subject, I have three sets of series of eight CDs, each of them 15 pounds called The Release of the Spirit, part one, part two, and part three. I want to invite you to join us for the UK Unite England Conference organized by my good friend Pete Samra. I'll be speaking at it with other speakers all day Saturday, the 6th of October. Uh, it's a, to unite Christians and pastors and leaders for the purpose of evangelizing our nation. For more details, contact us. The details are on the screen.